welcome to IDGen, the podcast where we track down and explore the most exciting crypto stories, hacks, mysteries, exploits, and anything else that feeds our crypto curiosity. We dig in, cutting through misinformation and hype in search of signal in the noise. How are you doing this week, Zach? Doing well. How about yourself, Hunt? Oh, doing good. I'm pretty excited to dive into this episode. I feel like you've been on fire this week, sending me plenty of awesome articles and, and things to talk about. Um, so I'm pretty, pretty pumped for this episode. Yeah, excellent. What are we going to talk about? Well, this week we have a bunch of weekly news updates, and then we're going to take a deep dive into the upcoming Ethereum merge, which I'm super excited about, and talk about the rippling effects of the Ethereum protocol level censorship from OFAC and tornado cash sanctions so this these are topics that i'm super into and uh pumped to get your opinions yeah definitely let's uh, let's dig in a lot of news this week i've grabbed some different items as well that maybe aren't directly related to crypto so you're going to hear some some basic stuff information security kind of things that i think impact crypto in different ways even if not directly related that said, let's jump into the weekly stories. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange, or the CME Group, is going to launch Ethereum options contracts on its platform on September 12th. The company announced that it's waiting for regulatory review, and if approved, these new investment products will join its existing eFutures and Mini Futures contracts. Interesting timing there. That's what we anticipate to be a few days before the Ethereum merge going to see the ability to purchase ethereum options contracts at the cme at least they're doing it now and not at the hype of the top of the bull market like they did with the bitcoin futures in 2017 it almost perfectly marked the top when they did it last time with bitcoin hmm. well i wasn't even aware of the distinction between like options versus futures kind of thought it was all in the same bucket so this was news to me that there's a distinction there and it makes me think that the predicted volatility leading up to the merge this is yet another reason this is going to be an absolutely wild ride for ethereum next one we've got alleged russian money launderer extradited from the netherlands to the united states according to court documents uh, this fellow and his co-conspirators laundered the proceeds of ransomware attacks on individuals and organizations throughout the U.S. and abroad. Specifically, he and, his, he and his accomplices laundered ransom payments extracted from victims of the Ryuk ransomware attacks. And the ransomware, the ransom was collected in Bitcoin, I do believe. So good. Yeah, good to see the ransomware attackers um, getting caught. And we'll see, we'll keep an eye on this one and, and see what happens. But I think he's facing some serious charges here. Round them up, bring them in. I'm, I'm happy to see these uh, nefarious actors kind of get what's coming to them. Yeah, ransomware is one that really brings a bad name to Bitcoin and crypto. It's uh, it, it just like, it's one of those things a lot of people ended up really getting introduced to crypto through ransomware, I think, and hearing about it and seeing it as just like this, you know, it's just a component of that. So um, nice to see that there is at least some accountability. Ransomware is just a pain in the ass. Next Definitely. one, I don't have details. 
on this. Didn't have time to dig in, but their Reaper Farm, a yield aggregator product, got owned. If you're interested in the DeFi hacks, you can dig that one up. There's uh, links in our show notes to the Peck Shield tweet where they are looking into the incident. Next one, here's one of those non-crypto related ones. TikTok monitoring all keyboard inputs and taps. So when you open any link in the TikTok iOS app, it's opened inside their in-app browser. And while you're interacting with any websites, TikTok subscribers, TikTok subscribes to all keyboard inputs. So that would mean passwords, credit card information, every tap on the screen, which buttons and links, links you click. So um, similar to how Reddit has their own in-app browser, when you're browsing around and you click links through there, TikTok apparently does the same thing and yep. everything you type is being monitored. I, I don't think you're going to like to hear this, Zach, but uh, I'm a TikTok person. I deleted Facebook. I deleted Instagram and in favor of TikTok. And I, I do know about like all these things that I've signed away and it's horrible and you're probably not happy with me for my OPSEC, but uh, I definitely enjoy the algorithm that TikTok provides me in those funny videos. But yeah, I was talking about this last night. It's pretty scary, all the information that they collect. And you can kind of see why a year ago, TikTok was heavily in the news with, uh, you know, America and Trump and, uh, and people talking about them collecting data and spying on us through this silly little video app. So Definitely something to be concerned about. And I hope more people start talking about it because I would say 95% of TikTok users have zero idea that it's capable of tracking them like this. Yeah. And just to be clear, I don't, I don't judge if you want to, you want to use your <laughs> social media, you know, uh, I know you don't, but you've helped me get my, my, uh, security game a little bit better throughout the years. And so, uh, you've done all these things to help me, you know, be better protected with my passwords and stuff. And then I go ahead and sign off on something like TikTok, and it's like all for not. So I know you're not judging, but I cringe at myself kind of. Yeah. It's difficult because you have to find that balance and I don't think for a lot of people, it's a real concern. I think that's changing to some degree, but for the most part, it's kind of like just click and agree, sign off and, and don't worry about it. But this is the reason that I brought this one up. Someone had um, developed some software that allows you to monitor different social media apps and kind of audit what JavaScript uh, is running and how they run it and what it's doing. And TikTok came back with the worst of all of all those other major platforms in this regard with what they collect. So keeping in mind that, you know, there's a um, different regime that is in, in control of the, the ownership of that company as well. So, you know, what I have said to people is, you know, consider in 10, 20 years when you maybe walk through the airport in Hong Kong and the AI, you know, within a split second of you getting off that plane, the visual face recognition AI is going to factor into its algorithm every video you've watched on TikTok and make a decision. Who knows what kind of decision, right? If, if it were used for good, then maybe the same way that you get the viral videos, there'll be a viral hologram. There'll be some type of interactive hologram to greet you when you get off the plane. I suspect it will be uh, 
less exciting than that, but I don't know because this data is going somewhere and it is being collect, uh, collected and saved and stored. Now, I don't know. It's no fun to live your life in a paranoid world. And ultimately, if you're that concerned, I think you're better off just disconnecting from everything. But it is fun to learn about this stuff and continue to develop an understanding of how this technical world is emerging. So next one, we've got a wrench attack. A wrench attack is where someone holds you ransom or holds you up in person for your, your crypto. doesn't have to be crypto, right? It's a physical type of attack. And so uh, in this particular case, three men targeted an Indian realtor whom they knew held Bitcoin. They abducted him while posing as sellers of a plot of land. They tortured him for three hours until he gave them eight BTC. Uh, scary, scary stuff. It is scary. One thing I want to point out, uh, if you have the headline, that was from actually from our cryptocurrency, which did link an article, you get through to the very bottom of the article, nestled at the bottom, you know, the victim was not hurt according to his wife. So they don't put that stuff in the headlines as much because it isn't as spectacular without it, but good to know, maybe one positive side of it. The next thing, um, they caught the suspects actually in this case, and what they did is they they set up a honeypot basically and these guys were going to go after the same guy again is what it sounds like and um yeah so they set up a honeypot in the same park that they kidnapped him from before i guess they set up another meet and boom sure enough the police tracked him down looks like a foot chase might have ensued someone even slipping in the mud but uh they got him so one thing I want to point out on these wrench attacks, when these happen, and there have been, you know, they, you'll see them periodically. Eastern Europe, I feel like there's a, a bit of this stuff going on. I've seen articles on. It's hard to know, but um, they're not, I don't think these things, these attacks don't happen that often, but they tend to get probably like many other negative things, disproportionate media attention. So, um, Yes, this is real. These things happen and they're a concern. But what almost always happens, and it happened here in the case of this Reddit post, the first thing is somebody with a ton of upvotes saying, yeah, this is why you keep your crypto a secret and don't tell anybody. And I get it. Like You want to be safe. And it's easier to do that, especially if you're going to be traveling to different regions where you don't know people. And if you're a if you have a public facing persona via social media, whatever, and it's known that you have crypto, you should be careful for sure. But the notion that I want to challenge is this idea that, you know, if, if you're going to, if crypto is working its way to mainstream, it can't just, it isn't going to exist in a place where, oh yeah, like you just have to hide that you have crypto and you're a crypto person. Like that's not feasible if this emerges as and reaches mainstream adoption, like you can't just say everybody hide the fact that they have crypto indefinitely. So it's kind of like the common go-to knee-jerk reaction is like, oh yeah, this is why you don't tell anybody. So it's a big secret, but I don't think that's feasible long-term. It's eventually going to have to change. And 
maybe other ways will develop to, you know, hold your crypto or ways that it's like, look, I, I can't, you can, I don't have the ability myself alone to send all my crypto. I need the approval of these five people. And um, maybe systems like that might deter these types of attacks. But at the end of the day, a lot of the best security practices can get boiled down to the wrench attack of, hey, like you did all these great things, but if somebody kidnaps you, what are you going to do? You're going to have to cough it up. So, yeah, it, and this is definitely, yeah, go, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, um, crypto gets a lot of heat for the security issues it has, but this is not a new issue. These, this has happened for quite a while in different countries, different places. You can be kidnapped and you get into a cab that's a rogue cab. And they're like, I'm taking you to the ATM. You're going to pull out all your money and you're going to give it to me or else we're, you know, going for a long drive kind of thing. So this is not new to crypto. It sure. One of the things that makes it problematic for crypto is the irreversible nature of transactions. 100%. Yeah, I think it's a scam as old as time, but uh, I guess not a scam, more of a robbery. But it reminds me of a video I saw once about these rappers filming a music video and they were, you know, how rappers like to flaunt their cash. And these guys had like 100K in cash. They were kind of throwing up in this car full of like gangster dudes come up and just literally like grab the stack of cash they're flaunting and run away. Right. So they were being a little too flashy with their their cash in front of some people and some people decided to take it from them. But that video is pretty hilarious. I'll have to try to find that and send it to you. I think I've seen that one. Yeah, that's yeah. been floating around for a while. Exactly. Same kind of thing. Next one here, hackers steal crypto from Bitcoin ATMs by exploiting a zero day bug. This is from the bleeping computer. This was August 20th. 2022, hackers have exploited a zero-day vulnerability in the General Bytes Bitcoin ATM servers to download and steal cryptocurrencies from customers. When customers would deposit or purchase cryptocurrency via the ATM, the funds would instead be siphoned off by the attackers. I dug into this one a little bit. I was curious to know how it worked. The General Bytes team put out an official advisory inside there. They mentioned that the attacker was able to create an admin user remotely via the CAS administrative interface, via a URL on the page that it used for the default installer on the server, and creating the first administration user. This vulnerability has been present in the CAS software since December of 2020. So basic Web2 vulnerability allowed the attacker to create a new admin user on the backend interface and using that from there, it probably wasn't too difficult to put some hooks in place so that when crypto was sent or received, it was moved to their wallets instead. So I've never used any crypto ATMs. I remember looking at them quite a bit a few years ago, and the exorbitant fees were such a turn off to me that I, you know, didn't use them, um, that, and there were like pretty brutal KYC requirements. Like I, I don't mind, I don't love it, but I don't mind, you know, um, a major U S based exchange that I trust doing KYC, but a random ATM that wants you to, you know, input or scan your passport and a lot of these things, I, I don't know. 
Never used yeah. the crypto ATMs. How about you, Hunt? I haven't. Um, I agree with you. I've, I've walked up to them and seen the spread. And it's like when Bitcoin was trading at $40,000, you could buy a Bitcoin for like $46,000 or you could sell a Bitcoin for like $35,000. There was like a massive spread. And yeah, one thing you've kind of taught me throughout the years is like, so I don't mind KYC either, but you are now trusting whoever you're giving this KYC to that their security is good. Take the ledger hack. Like you wouldn't really care about the fact that you KYC with ledger, you kind of trust them, but then you're, tr you know, you have to trust their security practices. If they get owned, then all your information is owned. And you know, the, the Bitcoin ATM might've not had anything bad to try to do with your personal information, but as soon as somebody hacks them, they can do horrible things with your personal information. So you got to trust the party who you're giving this very important detailed information to. Indeed, it's a tricky part of the whole KYC process. In a, in a perfect world, that would not be an issue. And you could share that info and trust that it wouldn't get leaked. But that is not where we are. Next one, iOS VPNs have leaked traffic for years. Proton CEO says, uh, allegedly, they notified Apple about this more than two years ago, still not fixed. At the root of it, the claim is that any connections that are established before activating the VPN on your phone are not tunneled after the VPN is enabled. So for example, you have a bunch of websites open and you turn on the VPN and then let's say, I think it would be at the browser level probably, then you would assume that that browser is working through a VPN. However, because it was opened ahead of time, that connection remains and persists unencrypted, which means that a great deal of traffic that users expected or thought was traveling over an encrypted tunnel was not why this hasn't been fixed is um, up for debate. It is unknown at this point. The another important point in case you're a iOS user, this trick was mentioned in one of the articles I read. I, I don't know hundred percent if it's accurate and works, but it sounds legit and it's probably worth a try if you are really in need. So what you can do is turn on your VPN then turn on airplane mode and then turn off airplane mode. And so that would force all those connections to terminate and be reestablished. Thus, uh, actually having, making the VPN function like you would expect or think it has been this whole time. Well, that's really good to know. I've always heard good feedback about Proton. So definitely, uh, glad we're talking about this. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like this one's off point it probably is is good i'm sure that my guess would be that there's a technical reason for apple that it would it requires a great deal of work to fix this it's probably not you know conspiratorial backdoor somebody asked them not to do it you know and told them not to can fix this and this that and the other it's most likely that it's the technical debt or the overhead associated with it is complex and not their top priority, but who knows because Apple has really built their reputation on, you know, being strong privacy advocates. So 
not good to see, but wanted to give you guys a heads up on that one in case you're really thinking that your traffic is encrypted when it's not. Might be an easy fix for now. Up next, U.S. lawmakers question the Treasury over the tornado cash sanctions. This is from August 23rd. Representative Tom Emmer, a Republican from Minnesota, raised questions over the decision to sanction tornado cash in a letter sent to the Treasury Department today. Emmer called the ban of a neutral, uh, of a quote, neutral open source decentralized technology a divergence from historical precedent. Among other things, Emmer asked what recourse law-abiding users of Tornado Cash may have to claim funds trapped in the protocol. Yeah, go Tom Emmer. I'm surprised that, uh, yeah, somebody who's a representative in our government kind of understands it like this, because I would say I agree with him. I don't think uh, it can be a blanket policy like most lawmakers are thinking. So uh, kudos to, to Tom Emmer for bringing it up. Yeah, I completely agree. And even going as far as to saying, Hey, what about, you know, law abiding users and how are they going to get their funds, their trapped funds out? So really, really interesting to see. I'm uh, this whole thing. And we're going to get into this. In fact, next and now let's talk about the merge. Yeah. This sort of strange way that these OFAC sanctions of Tornado Cash have blended into the merge, the switch from proof of work to proof of stake and how it all impacts it. There's just so many moving parts, so many interesting elements. And we are on the heels, what, three weeks, two weeks out? Yeah, September 15th, I believe, is the, the targeted date. And something I think is important to talk about, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this, this, the merge to proof of stake has been part of Ethereum's roadmap from almost day one. Am I correct on that? That is my understanding, yeah. Yeah, so this is, you know, something that's been long awaited. And, you know, I remember people always saying that the merge is right around the corner, and it always will be. And just to hear that there's an actual block number where they're going to take place this merge and there's a targeted date is pretty exciting to somebody who's been following ethereum for you know five plus years now so uh definitely put on my party hat on september 15th indeed and in case you are not familiar or you need a refresher this is from ethereum.org the merge represents the joining of the ex the existing execution layer of ethereum the mainnet we use today with its new proof of stake consensus layer the beacon chain it eliminates the need for energy intensive mining and instead secures the network using staked ETH. A truly exciting step in realizing the Ethereum vision, more scalability, security, and sustainability. High level, that's how Ethereum.org describes the merge. It's uh, hard to understate the importance from the environmental perspective of this move. I think that that's one of the most exciting parts for me is instead of the resource intensive proof of work mining that Bitcoin uses and Ethereum uses currently, this move will dramatically reduce the energy consumption of the network 
uh, immediate, the, immediately upon the merge and moving forward. Yeah, so, I've heard numbers like 99% uh, reduction in energy. Um, so that's, you know, with a lot of the, the headlines and, you know, naysayers about crypto attacking the energy usage, which I have my thoughts on, but it's uh, definitely going to be a good narrative towards the Ethereum side of things. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in here, let's see if I can find it. Um, the headline on this one, since we're talking about this part of it, I'm going to jump ahead a little. Most proof of work miners intend to go to Ergo, not Ravencoin or Ethereum Classic post merge. So this is an article from CryptoSlate talking about where these miners are going to go. I've seen a lot of FUD in the last weeks, months about, you know, oh, the miners aren't just going to let this go. Guys, this has been known, Hunt, as you mentioned since the very beginning that this was the direction Ethereum was going and the miners, there was a lot of contention. I remember it was, I it was about a year and a half, two years ago as some of the foundational moves. This has been a multi-part transition, this, this process. And this is not like, Hey, you know, a couple months notice we're upgrading and y'all are going to be you're, you're, you know, all your GPUs are going to be worthless um, for mining. Ethereum shouldn't say worthless. Of course they won't be. So, um, yeah, where are these miners going to go is an interesting question. And according to that article, there's some different chains that they've got eyes on. I don't know. Um, do we care? You know, it's like they've known about this from the beginning and there's plenty of proof of work, you know, cryptocurrencies that they can switch their miners to. And the writing's kind of been on the wall. And these guys have been very profitable for a long time, you know, securing the network. And as far as I understand it, tell me if I'm wrong, Zach, but we're moving from proof of work, which is miners securing the network to proof of stake, which is stakers and validators uh, securing the network. So you can stake your 32 ETH or join a poll and you will get rewarded in, um, dividends in Ethereum, you'll get paid a per certain percentage, which is kind of fluctuating up and down right now, but you'll get paid a certain percentage. And instead of the Ethereum going to a miner who has to immediately sell because most of the time, because they have energy bills to pay, they have rent, they have to update their equipment, they have real expenses. The Ethereum is now going to stakers who are pretty much mostly can be assumed are strong believers in the Ethereum thesis and the community and are much more likely to hold that Ethereum and continue to stake it instead of kind of just dumping it on the market. So the theory is that there will be less sell pressure on um, Ethereum token uh, after the merge, but we'll have to see how that all plays out. But I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's a, a couple really bullish narratives in my opinion. I, uh, that is, yeah, that is aligns with my understanding. I'm not super well versed on all the, the tokenomics of it and how these different market forces are going to impact each other. But from a very simple level, it makes sense. I know that immediately after the merge that you aren't even, you still won't be able to withdraw your ETH and once you can, the, the idea was to take a very conservative approach. And so you're only going to be able to withdraw. I think that I read, <clears throat> don't quote me on this, but I think it's six ETH per block, maybe. Um, 
maybe I should look into that exactly what it was, but it, I know that it's a very conservative, safe approach so that there's not going to be, you know, by design, the protocol will not allow a massive amount of Ethereum to be pulled or unstaked. And so, um, that kind of slows the process. So a little different from the rewards you were talking about, but yes, if you have mining rewards and you can compound them and you don't have to pay energy costs, you're essentially your, um, the fees you're paying are, are minor. You're incentivized pretty heavily to keep that in yeah, and, and let it compound. I know that with stake wise, the way that it works currently is that you are given reward ETH, what they call our ETH, and you can actually cash that out and sell it and, and get cash for it. They're holding the actual real Ethereum right now because they have to, right? But they're willing to, to cat, you can cash that out, the, the our ETH. So will those big mining pools jump into the withdraw queue? Certainly, I would expect we're gonna see that. Where this really gets crazy is with the tornado cash sanctions wasn't you know we started talking about this immediately after this happened a few weeks ago and um it it just keeps evolving it's not going away and it's insane at this point to see what the impact is and what i mean by that um let's take a quick look here at a couple of tweets Ethermine, the largest Ethereum pool, has refused to pack Tornado Cash-related transactions into blocks in the past week. Several pool technicians also confirmed the news and said it was the first time in history. That was from at Wu Blockchain from August 20th. Uh, Vitalik, actually a day before that, had said individual miners can refuse to include whatever they want, but it has little effect. The transaction just gets into the block into the next block need a 51% attack. So reverting blocks and not just excluding transactions to fully prevent transactions from being included. So kind of saying, Hey, this, um, censorship doesn't, you know, represent an actual attack because it isn't preventing these transactions from making into the chain. It's just delaying it until a future block. So stepping back one bit here. So, the reason this is connected in, into the upcoming merge is previously with proof of work, we had not seen, uh, to my, to the best of my knowledge, we had not seen tr uh, miners not including certain transactions based on, you know, sanctions. Um, that okay, that's not true. There was something. I think there was a Bitcoin mining firm a while back that was trying to do exactly that. I don't, I don't think they did too well, but, um, we hadn't seen this with Ethereum and certainly not from these sanctions, uh, previously. Well, cause they, you know, they didn't exist or even, you know, there were sanctioned, um, EOA accounts or user accounts on Ethereum and we hadn't seen this before. So why is this important? And this admittedly had me quite a bit concerned because why if, okay, first of all, OFAC says you cannot interact with these addresses. Makes sense. Got it. Don't think that it's a, it's a good move. It isn't going to, you know, achieve what they want, 
but okay, fair enough. Do that. The difference here is that these are miners saying, um, sorry, I think they're pack trends in the blocks. Yeah. So these are, um, miners doing it now, but I think that it would be the concern is that if OFAC or the U S government or the Chinese government were to say, you cannot interact with a certain set of addresses after the merge, we have validators and there are large pools of validators that are run by centralized U S based companies, mainly Coinbase, Kraken, Binance, yeah, there'll be a lot of them. Yep, they have a lot of power. Yeah, um, and right, and so then the question is: No one has come out and actually said, "Hey, yes, you have to, you you know, to comply with sanctions, you need to remove these transactions and not allow them to be. You, you can't submit in the chain. This is preemptively. Ethermine has done this in an attempt to overcomply." right? There is no specific guidance here that says that this must happen. So um, this is a preemptive step that's been taken. However, the real problem is that this challenges the fundamental value proposition of Ethereum itself. If Ethereum is not censorship resistant, we have a massive amount of overhead and incredibly slow protocol by comparison and why not just use PayPal, Zelle, or some other means of transporting money if we don't have the ability to have censor, you know, censorship less transactions? So what's the point? We're all here for the the censorship resistant, you know, protocols. So yeah, I'm definitely part of that camp that I'm very concerned about that. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't um it doesn't make sense. Like to go okay so so this is concerning and there's this incredibly great article from eric wall the case for social slashing and i found this late last night and i read through this and it gives me hope there's a lot of if you're interested in this topic i would highly recommend checking the show notes or tracking this down you can find it on their Twitter and uh, medium and everything. But uh, as to kind of follow through with the conversation we've been having here, um, what is the issue? The absolute core purpose for blockchains such as Ethereum is to provide neutrality and censorship resistance. That's why we tolerate that the system is slow and expensive to use at times because of these unique qualities. A threat to censorship resistance is a threat to the system's um, core purpose. So that is, is what we're up against. And so what the, the question is, after the merge happens, what if OFAC were to clarify and say, yes, US-based organizations cannot even validators, US-based validators cannot include any transactions for these addresses or they will be out of compliance. Again, that's a what if, but if that happens, you imagine that all these different validators on the Ethereum network all of a sudden can't include these transactions. That is a problem, Definitely. right? So they're going to have to run 
their own version, modified version of validator software. There's another problem, which is that uh, some folks have pointed out, okay, <clears throat> transactions in Ethereum are not um, always straightforward. You have the ability to send a coin to someone. If you're sending Ether, it's a very basic transaction, a transfer function. If you are interacting with an arbitrarily complex smart contract, on the other hand, you can imagine a series of logic steps going through all types of different um, functions and procedures. And at the very end of all that, there is some obfuscated call that touches a sanctioned address. So these clients, you know, running on this censored chain, so to speak, they would have to deal with that potential type of denial of service attack because if people flooded the network with those transactions, it would require a great deal of computational power for them to walk through and find out at the very end of the transaction through all these different steps that it was going to have to be dropped. So this is not something clearly OFAC didn't think through those elements, but even the idea of a sort of censored Ethereum chain starts to fall apart pretty quickly when you look at some of these finer details. So this all sounds pretty doom and gloom and not good. However, as um, Mr. Wall has pointed out in his article, there is a potential solution and it exists within the um, within the source code for the nodes itself. So there was a Ethereum developers call this week and this topic was hotly and heavily discussed. And it sounds like the consensus, there are a couple polls that float around on Twitter. The consensus is, is that core developers, um, core developers of Ethereum, including Vitalik, are not in favor of operating a censored chain. And okay, so that's an important start, but what would you do about it? So imagine now if new code or updates were pushed out to Ethereum itself to introduce this concept of social slashing. And I don't understand the, the details of how this gets implemented. He talks about it. Eric talks about it in this article. Uh, but the idea is relatively simple. The premise is that instead of being slashed um, for, for other reasons, maybe trying to include like a malicious block and getting slashed and, and losing some of your ETH as a validator, if you refuse to include certain transactions, then you're going to get slashed for that. And so imagine if that were the case, then someone like Coinbase would say, well, you know, we're going to, um, we're, we're not going to be able to participate in staking. And actually Coinbase CEO, Brian Armstrong did say exactly that, that he would, um, not participate if it, you know, he, if it were a choice between having to censor the chain and not participate, he would do the right thing and not participate and offer staking to Coinbase customers. So, um, this is a, wow. Yeah. Super interesting. And there's a lot of moving parts. I am trying to consume and get through them as quickly as I can. What this amounts to similar to maybe, um, you heard a lot about this, the UASF Bitcoin fork, 
the user activated soft fork, this would be a similar scenario for Ethereum, essentially. So it's, uh, again, there are so many moving parts to this. And I feel good that, you know, I don't think that Ethereum is going to move forward with a censored chain. And yeah, that's, if you, that's one of the main premises of all the, the true core developers and Vitalik. It's, you know, I, I, I think that's de decentralization and censorship resistance is one of the, the core principles. And I don't think they'll move forward without it. Yeah. And so there's this idea that a fork would happen and there would be this OFAC compliant chain. Right. And mm -hmm. Eric makes a case in his article that is strongly made. I think that that chain is not going to be the one that persists. So consider all the validators, the OFAC chain are inherently somewhat vulnerable to denial of service. We talked about that. If you submit a long, complex transaction, uh, makes an unpredictable call to a sanctioned address, the transaction will need to be rejected, but the validators won't be able to charge any gas for it, uh, allowing abuse of the computational resources. And um, so that's not the only reason that the OFAC chain probably doesn't make sense because, um, yeah. Any, anyways, there's a, there's a lot more in the article, um, to, to get into with it, but just crazy. I trying to keep up and understand and follow this cat and mouse game. What it feels like to me is that this is, we we've known that the merge is the most important and largest upgrade to Ethereum ever. But now you throw in this curveball at the last minute with the censorship tornado cache directly before the merge. I mean, this is if Ethereum emerges successful on the other side, it's they're going to, you know, a very formidable force to reckon with, I think. Oh, definitely. I like your description of the, the cat and mouse and, you know, the government and their sanctions is the cat. But I feel like, you know, the core developers and the Ethereum community is the mouse. And I feel like they're smarter and faster and more nimble than that cat. And they can react much quicker. They can hide under things. And, you know, they're most of the time escaping that. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm definitely on team mouse over here. Yeah. And maybe we can wrap up this conversation with uh, a quote from a Ethereum developer. If we allow censorship of user transactions on the network, then we have basically failed. This is the hill that I'm willing to die on. If we start allowing users to be censored on Ethereum, then this whole thing doesn't make sense. And I will be leaving the ecosystem at VD Widen, W-I-J-D-E-N. And that is the seems to be the consensus of uh, a number of others. I'm on that team. I, it, it, what's the whole point if we're, if you know, what are we doing here if it's able to be censored? So yeah, I, I love hearing this. Yeah, this is, this is going to be wild. It's going to be a really exciting few weeks. We're going to keep tracking this one, following it to see what we can figure out and where it all goes. All right personal hack attempt of the week. Yeah. You got, uh, what you got about you on anything? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's not me personally. It is my sweet dear mother who's been a, uh, uh, 
crypto Ethereum and Bitcoin holder for almost five years now. And um, I don't know how her email ended up on this list, but she'll get an email more and more rapidly saying, you have just withdrawn 0.000123 BTC. Um, if this was not you, click on this link. And, you know, I instructed her to not click on this link, but I'm sure if she had uh, clicked on that link, it would ask her to sign in with her Coinbase email and password. And um, they would potentially have access to her funds. And she, you know, calls me very scared that said, I didn't withdraw any Bitcoin. And uh, I'm sure once she opens these emails too, there's some kind of tracking software that shows that she is, you know, at least partially biting into this scam. So they are getting more and more regular. So I'm advising her to uh, change the email that she has associated with her Coinbase. So she knows that all of these emails that come in are nefarious and that they will email her on another account if it's actually official Coinbase business. But, um, you know, pretty standard phishing attack, but it, it gets uh, scary when you try to attack my, my little old mother. Yeah, no, definitely. So two recommendations for you. Maybe you've yeah. got these, maybe not. If you um, turn off automatic image loading, you can do this in Gmail. It's a default. I think it's the default in, in Proton's mail. Um, a lot of the automated tracking via emails is done through these pixel trackers. So there's these very, very small images, non-visible images embedded into an email. And those are used to track when emails are opened. And to prevent that from happening, you simply need to turn off the auto loading of images. It's a little bit of a pain, but you can always, most email clients then give you the ability to easily just say load images for this email with a, a button right in the email. So turn that off if that's a huge concern. Again, it takes away some of the prettiness of emails, but um, more often than not, it works just the emails come through just fine. Anyway, the next thing is, of course, make sure she has 2FA enabled so that even if they were able to somehow get access into that account, that they're not going to be able to send any coins. That's great feedback. I'm wondering if I should uh, reach out and tell her this or just see if she's listening to every episode like she says she is and see if she gets this advice on her own. So we'll have to see. What about uh, you, Zach? Anything crazy going on with uh, you getting uh, attempted to be hacked? I'm guessing you didn't fall for anything, but what, what happened for you this week? Um, didn't fall for anything that I know of. I got <laughs> one just like two hours ago that I was having some fun with. It was a pig butchering scam. It's honestly not even worth um, really mentioning it was, Hey, can I ask you for some advice? And I said, probably not. And their reply was, what are you a con man? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. So, um, we, I had a choice exchange where I then decided to convince them that I was actually an AI and I had no emotion and I did get some lulls out of them, but I then got bored and blocked them. Cause I'm like, why am I not working engaging. on show research. Yeah. I mean, what, what it all is the point of engaging? Do you here? think they, they're an AI or a bot or do you think that that's a human behind there? It, it was a human. Yeah. I do. I do. I have had interactions that I was highly suspicious of that. These were AI bots trying to scam, which man, can you imagine if you create an AI bot that was intelligent enough that a good deal of people couldn't tell that it was a bot and it was trained to steal some type of password, phishing link, something. I mean, you could turn those bots loose and, uh, geez, it's, yeah, it's, it's scary. I mean, there's, there's these bots in, in 
the crypto world, but you know, in my music world, I'm also Facebook and Twitter, pretty much any show that I announce that has the word sold out in it, all of a sudden, all these bots on Facebook say, I have four extra tickets. I have two extra tickets. Like, please DM me. And it's like 95% of those are fake and not fans or know anything about the event, but they will try to scam people to do it. And it's really becoming a big problem in all music events. I mean, I would say that any show post that's about a sold out event will have seven, 10, 20 of these responses. And Facebook's starting to delete them a little bit, but it's not, it's not happening as quickly as I want. And then, you know, we don't have to get started on the Twitter bots and how much they're replying with spam and junk and trying to, you know, send me one Ethereum, I'll send you 10 back type of scam. So, you know, not always just crypto. Why are you holding on to me? We should do this for our Twitter feed. We get up on this episode, we get it put that it's sold out when we post the link and see if we can get a bunch of comments from these bots. Let's try it. That sounds fun. Let's do a hashtag sold out on uh, when we post it and just see what happens. Cause I know you do like to kind of have fun with these bots. Yeah. Let's see if we can honeypot it up and then you never know, like maybe we can get an episode viral because the algorithm will think, Oh, look at all these responses. And uh, now you're let's, thinking. let's see if we can get our, our highest listened to show by harnessing the power of the uh, sold out bots. Let's we'll, do it. We'll see what we can do. And we'll talk about it next week. Two, uh, three other quick things. I saw a post on this and I figured I'd mention it. Reminder that U.S. law enforcement can legally use stingrays and does not require a probable cause warrant. A stingray, if you are not in the loop, is a device. It's a fake cell phone tower. They often set these things up near suspected criminals' homes, people they're investigating, protests, things like that. Essentially, all your cell phone traffic gets routed through that stingray. This, in combination with the iOS VPN issues, you can see a dangerous scenario here emerging. Um, so yeah, keep keep that in mind if you're not familiar. If you're interested in this, uh, a couple weeks ago now, I saw this on Netflix. There's a show called Truth and Power. Season one, episode number three is about a fellow named Daniel Ringmaiden, a brilliant young scam artist turned whistleblower who evades the FBI for months after being accused of filing fraudulent tax claims and illegally collecting hundreds of thousands of dollars from the IRS. This is a wild story, really cool story. And this is actually what publicly broke the information out that these stingrays were, were actively being used. So this is not news. It's nothing new this week, but I came across it and wanted to highlight it in case anyone wasn't aware and um, maybe wanted to learn more. The next one, I found a really interesting mention of IPFS, Interplanetary File System, most commonly used for blockchain and NFTs. Uh, However, there was a post about how to get free textbooks, and there's a website that allows you to drop the ISDN numbers in, ISBN number, sorry, in, and... um, basically gives you free textbooks. One of the options and one of the ways that they're hosting these is IPFS. Now the post actually says to avoid using IPFS, but I was super surprised to see that and uh, wanted to mention that IPFS is being used outside of blockchain and NFTs in this case. um, You know, hey, I know what the butt coiners would say here. It's just being used for another scammy purpose. On the flip side, Uh, There's a very, very good argument to be made that the whole textbook industry is scamming 
us and college students. So, you know, information wants to be free and I'll leave that one at that. Um, the final one is just needs worth mentioning. I haven't the confirmed old dick this. Butts. The old dick butt. Um, three arrows <laughs> capital, one of their wallets. Someone has found a dick butt NFT. And that means that, uh, yeah, they were spending their money, your money, somebody's money on dick butts. A dick butt NFT is kind of what you would imagine. If you haven't seen one, you should probably check one out on OpenSea. But it's a pretty ridiculous NFT that has uh, done performed pretty well um, in it, you know, was trading for about 0.1 ETH. And I'm thinking it's over two or three ETH right now. But, you know, I remember when I first heard about it, I talked to somebody and was like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. And he said, you know what, I've surrendered to this a while ago and thought, what would the internet do? What would they think is funny? And they typically go with the most ridiculous option out there and not the one that's the most logical. So uh, crypto dick butts NFT has uh, is, is dick butts are a store of value, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Bodie McBoatface um, floor price three ETH for a crypto dick butt. So uh, <clears throat> casual 30 X for when somebody told me to buy it maybe six months ago. So pretty wild to watch. You well, gonna get a dick butt, Zach? You want one? I'm gonna pass on the dick butts, but what I will say, <laughs> I was listening to um, the Sam Harris Waking Up app this week, and uh, the guy was talking about instead of FOMO, he's got it flipped around, and it's JOMO, the joy of missing out. So I'm gonna exercise and flex my ability to take joy in the things that I'm missing out on, and I'm gonna feel joyful on missing the dick butts. Yeah, well, I uh, am happy I didn't miss out on any of this week's info and all the, the info you shared with us on the merge and all these happenings. So this is a lot of fun. I, uh, as always, enjoyed this episode, but I think this is uh, one of our better ones and I can't wait to keep it up. So, uh, yeah, keep listening in. If anybody's got any feedback or ideas, we're uh, pretty easily reachable. Um, shoot us a message and we'd love to hear what you're thinking or any ideas that you have. And let's uh, let's keep learning about all this stuff together. Let's do it. Sounds good, Hunt. Enjoy the mountains. We'll talk to All you right. soon. Take care. Bye.